Hi, Bumpy fans. We're just mixing up a little bit this week. So we're going to bring you the extra show, as promised, with Freddie here, Joff and Jack, obviously. But we thought we'd just like mix it up a little bit. We've done a great preview for the game against Bristol Rovers with Ollie from the Gascast. So we've thrown that in the middle as well. So hope you enjoy the little invasion of the main show on the extra one. I was going to say, this is the side project. What are you doing here? <laughs> well, you know, don't blame me. Blame poor Andy, who's uh, toppled off a, a two and a half meter wall and basically separated his shoulder. So we thought, why not? You know what? We'll still do the game preview. So the listeners have that as well. And yeah, I've just inserted it into the middle of your, your podcast, Fred. Yeah, that's absolutely fine. And obviously our thoughts go out to Andy. He's going to have surgery in a bit. So fingers crossed that all goes okay. All the best. And he'll hopefully have a speedy recovery soon. Rest up. And as always, Andy, beware of frogs. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the second ever episode of the PO Forecast Extra. I'm your host, Freddie Webb, and yes, it's already been a month since we did our first show, which got um, a very good reception on social media. Thank you so much. And also got some comments on things to improve on, which is also brilliant. It's a similar format today where we'll be going through lots of things. And to help me out with this, where we have brought back a talented musician and Pompey fan, Joff Taylor. How's it going, man? Good evening. Yeah, I'm doing all right, thanks. Uh, played a gig on a weekend, which is great. Looking forward to the working week ahead. Got a little party on Thursday, which is good. But no, doing pretty well, thanks. Awesome. I'm surprised he hasn't plugged the EP yet. He's been doing it on Instagram all week. but Not yet. I'll, I'll put a tweet out about it tonight. Fine. Okay, we'll, we'll, we'll leave that in suspense and we'll put that on later. We'll probably may, may, maybe mention it on the main show. We'll see. And to help me out a bit more, he's been doing all sorts of bits in football statistics. During the meantime, he'll probably list all the things he's been doing, and he's also been prompted on Twitter. Mr. Jan Hancock, how's it going, man? You all right? Yeah, all good, mate. Well, I mean, last time we were recording the podcast, I had like a heart scare. So, you know, hashtag blessed to still be here. So, you know, got to take the rough of the smooth. I'm still alive, still kicking, just about. Oh, I'm doing very well, doing very well. Well, I, I as part of my work, I interviewed someone today who was celebrating their 105th birthday. So that, that's the target, Jack. You've got, you've got, all the way to 105 to reach. That is that is daunting. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so for the second episode of the PO4 cast extra, we are going through the summer signings, which we didn't go through in the first episode. That includes Ben Stevenson in a bit more detail since that broke during the last show. We'll be also be going over Gavin White, Jack Sparks, Regan Paul, Cassini Yangi, Abu Kamara, and Ryan Schofield. We'll also be going through your listener questions. We have a few, but also we'll be figuring out how Portsmouth are going to play this season, what sort of style of play and potentially a formation as well, and also what's missing. There might also be some things on potential new signings, not not actual any insider knowledge, but just actual opinions on some players that Jack or Joff may want. And also, I didn't tell them this at the beginning, but I'll be asking for their league predictions since I was forced to do it on the last show. I kept that quiet and I'm seeing the smirks already. Okay, so uh, let's go straight into the players then. 
I mentioned last time Ben Stevenson, the transfer news broke during the last show. He signed on a free from Forest Green. Centre midfielder looks as if he's going to fill in in the Marlon Pack role. A bit more defensive, he's going to drop a bit deeper, collect the ball from the centre halves and progress the play from there. 29 appearances for Forest Green Rovers last season, one assist. According to Forest Green Rovers fans, he was, he was pretty good and one of the few standout players in that side, probably alongside Corey O'Keefe, the wing-back, probably one of the few players that stood out in that team that finished rock bottom of League One last season. And most people seem to think that it's a solid backup styling, but nothing more than that, really. Uh, who wants to take the four first? Who can tell me a bit more about Ben Stevenson? I'm happy to uh, I'll list what I've seen from him so far. So kind of when we signed him, I didn't really know much about him. We we panicked live on air and tried to scrounge together some data. And yet, you know, I like him defensively. He's got a good passing range. He's active in possession. So, you know, he won't shy away from that responsibility. He's good in the counter press. As in terms of the negatives, his ball carrying maybe isn't the best. So in certain games, he might not suit being that advanced player. And also, you know, last year he didn't perform very well in League One. So it'll be interesting to see if he can, you know, adapt to the division this year. And in terms of, you know, the question I have around him is, can he play as a single pivot when Marlon Pack isn't available? Because that's a lot of responsibility and, you know, you need, you need a lot of good attributes to make that work. He seems to be the sort of player who will be asked if Marlon Pack isn't fit and starting to be able to be, be that player to break up opposition plays and then pass the ball out quickly. I don't expect him to be the sort of player to carry out the ball from the back, I don't think. He'll be the sort of player to disrupt the opposition and sort of link the back four in the midfield, which would be good. Uh, Joff, do you have any opinions on Stevenson? It's quite interesting because yeah, the Forest Green Rovers fans thought he was reasonably well, but the stats don't seem to link up that well. Yeah, well, I saw him uh, last Tuesday against FC Wimbledon at the Friendly, and we started with a double pivot. It was him and Lowry. I thought he looked, you know, fine, perfectly functional. You know, those preseason games, you don't get as much pressure on yourself as you do in, the, you know, in the normal season. But when we switch to a four-three-three, I think with about twenty-five minutes to go, twenty-five minutes, he looked a lot better in that single pivot role. And um, that could be due to a number of factors. I.e., Joe Morell coming along and playing as a more advanced eight with Terry Devlin on the other side, or the fact that he is just better in that six role. And I think. Yeah, people have been saying he is the perfect um, kind of reserve player, squad depth player for Pack as that kind of single pivot, that number six. Uh, whether he can do it remains to be seen, but from what I've seen of him in person, he looks like he's up to it. A few notes from the Wimbledon game, he's really comfortable on the ball. He likes to kind of drop in, get the ball from the centre-halves and yeah, just progress it quickly, which was a problem of ours against Wimbledon. Lowry, who I really like as a player, just didn't give the ball Early enough, I thought he kept on spinning around with it, despite not being under any pressure. But yeah, he he looks like he'd be good for that. And you know, if Pat gets injured or he just needs a rest or whatever, then from what I've seen, he's probably good enough to do a job in that role. Yeah, we'll be talking more about Portsmouth's creativity or problems as such later on, because that seems to be the big topic from supporters at the moment heading into the new season. But one thing I do want to ask about Stevenson is. How good is he at breaking up play? Because if he's in that CDME sort of role in the four-three-three, that's one of the two main responsibilities he's going to have, as well as obviously playing the ball out quite quickly. Um, do either of you have anything on that? I don't have any data to hand, but from so I did a thread on Stevenson as I always do, 
and one of the points was he he's good in the counter press and he's got good ball recoveries. So as you said, if you just want that that pivot who can take it, recover it, give it, and do it do it simply, he's got the passing range. He does have the ability to counter press and, and get those ball recoveries. So that's that's not a concern for me. Okay, yeah. so I, I asked that because that's basically what the role that Marlon Pack has been asked because he's sometimes had to drop so deep in between in the past in between the, the uh, centre halves even at times and obviously defend situations like corners, free kicks, etc. Uh, Joff, you're going to jump in there for a bit. Yeah, I, I mean statistically, I've been looking at players in terms of percentiles. So all that does is kind of take everyone in that position to score over a bunch of different statistics and kind of rank them in which percentile they fit in so that's from zero to 100 so if you're ranked 100 on that you are the best if you're zero you are the worst and kind of everything in terms of breaking up play kind of on the ground is very very middling now that could be to do with the way forest green played last season i know that i don't have the data to hand but the season before where forest green were a dominant side in league two that he looked really good there um, we've mentioned that before on the podcast, not looking at last season's stats, but the season before last season's stats. But two things he stands out in is aerial duels. One, he's in the top 20% of that, so the 80th percentile, and shots blocked as well. So comfortable defensively at a legal level in certain aspects. But again, he's playing for a totally different size and under a you know, different manager, different systems. So you can't you know get the full picture of those stats. Yeah, exactly. But it does give Pompey fans a flavour of what sort of player he is. Yeah, I don't mind the signing as a just a general concluding point. I think it's the sort of signing that Pompey should expect to make when you know a player isn't going to be starting. He has a defined role. We sort of know what he's there for. It's just a case of how he's going to be when he jumps in a few games. I'm going to go with one of the most arguably exciting signings of the window. He signed on a free from Cardiff City, the right winger Gavin White. 27 years old, made 14 appearances for Cardiff last season, but only three starts. And he only played 361 minutes of league football, according to Football Reference. One goal and one assist in that time. But I looked into a bit more detail from his Oxford United days, where there was a bunch more data, and he just came up as effectively an aggressive winger with a creative touch on top. In that season, from the one goal and 10 assists, he had 4.39 expected goals and 5.22 expected assists. This is purely the league. And compared to wingers who had played at least a 1,000 minutes of league football, he was quite up there. What do you guys think generally about the signing of Gavin White? I'm really excited about this one because winger was the weakest position going into the summer. And we've, and Pompey tried many different players trying to address that this summer. I really like him. You know, he's versatile. He can play on either wing or as a 10. He can't play out front. That's not his job. One thing I really like about him is his dribbling style. He's got quite a nice central gravity, which I bang on about quite a lot, but in my opinion, it's very important. And, you know, the way he dribbles, he keeps the ball right on the edge of his boot. So it looks like the opponent, uh, the defender can nip in and, and maybe get it off him, but then he just drags it away right at the the last moment. As you said, really creative, especially in League One. He got, I want to say, double figures and assists last time he was with Oxford. And yeah, he's got solid crossing. Obviously, on the other side of things, he's not got a great goal tally and he hasn't really had that consistency in his game recently. So it would be good if he can add a couple more goals to his game and just get a really solid year of, of League One football under his belt. Yeah, there's definitely some creativity there. He was third for wingers for key passes per 90 in that, in that season. 
But then again, his crossing wasn't, it was okay, but it wasn't brilliant. It was 2.51 crosses per 90 with 26.39% accuracy, according to Y Scout. Similar players around that, uh, Anthony Scully and Brandon Curtis. That's something to keep an eye on at any rate. But considering his dribbling, it will possibly get him into better positions where the crosses are easier. So potentially a low, a low cross to Colby Bishop. That's the dream, isn't it? In the six yard box. Joff, do you think it seems like the wingers, and we're going to go into this more in a bit, all the wingers at Bassino sign are quite aggressive. Some of the, the crossing stats are okay, but they're not jumping out at me. I think Gavin White's got a creative streak purely from watching him and some of the other stats I have. Is he creative enough? Yeah, I think he is. You know, his numbers two seasons ago uh, when he was at Oxford, or was it three seasons ago, definitely speak for themselves. He's, yeah, again, a player who can play on both sides, which means he's versatile. As well as that kind of statistics, he's, I've noticed he's got a very, very kind of high work rate. He, you know, definitely could last 90 minutes, which is something equally as important. But as you're saying, Fred, that crossing, you know, it might not be something we're totally going for. We could be going for kind of Man City style cutbacks, you know, work the ball into the box, get take it to the byline, cut it back to the six yard box, cut it back to the to the penalty spot. And, you know, Man City over the past four or five seasons have scored a ludicrous amount of goals doing that. And, you know, you don't need the best finishers to be able to, you know, score a cutback when the ball's pinged off at you and all you need to do is direct it towards the goal. Obviously, we've got Colby Bishop, who's an excellent finisher at this level. But, you know, if it's a midfielder arriving late, I'm thinking, again, Tom Lowry on last Tuesday didn't have the best evening in front of goal. I had three or four good chances that, you know, on another day could have, you know, could have gone in. Their keeper looks decent. But, yeah, if we're, you know, wanting to take the ball to the byline and cut it back, I'm not too concerned about crossing statistics. Yeah, and as well, I you know, said it again, but a player who can play on both sides. You know, last year, Owen Dale, good player. Again, amazing work rate, but could only really play on that right-hand side, played on the left maybe one game, played in, the, in a 10 role maybe one or two games last season. Just, you know, didn't look the same player. He also played at wing-back, which, which was a bit ridiculous, but that's in the past now. But as Jack said, he's, he's a versatile player. So, yeah, got injury cover there. And, yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing him play. I like the balance of White being right-footed on the right wing. I think that helps an awful lot. A lot of the wingers who have come in are, well, inside wingers. And what that means is they're on... Their preferred ring wing, but they're, they're the wrong footedness. So Anthony Scully, right footed left wing. It's good that White can also play left wing if need be, but I do see him effectively being automatically the first choice on that side, given his experience and some other things. I think another start that jumped out of me was his progressive passes. And those are passes that are accurate and go across a certain level of the pitch. He had 3.06 of those per 90 with a 79.55% accuracy, which is top third in League One in that season, the 2021-22 season. Jack, do you think that White is the de facto starting right wing, or do you think it's somebody else? That's a tough question. I want to give you a proper answer, because I don't want to flip-flap. No, I'm going to have to flip-flap, because it depends on the opposition completely. Because you've got Paddy Lane, who's more of an inverted winger than the inside forward, which let's not get bogged down in the in the terminology left-footed right winger. So if you want to, you know, have a game where you really overload a back line, you get the wingers coming inside, the full-backs are really high, you'd probably play Paddy because, you know, he can drive inside and Swanson or Rafty can overlap. But if you maybe want to stretch a team, 
you would play Gavin White because you know he likes to touch, uh, hug the touchline, and he is right footed and can you know whip in those deliveries. But uh, and yeah, just what uh, Joff was alluding to, I completely agree on the point of the you know not amazing crossing delivery being an issue because from what I've seen in preseason and under Messino and also what we have in the squad, it probably does suit you know cutbacks rather rather than crosses. Yeah, that's a solid point. I just I assume that for the Bristol Rovers game, I think to try and give a solid start and consider that Messina has played with him, I believe that White will be the starting right winger, but it's definitely going to be competition on that side with Lane, I assume. We're going to move on to the the other wing this time and to a player that Portsmouth video scouted. It was mentioned in the news that they haven't actually scouted him in person. They did this entirely on video scouting. And given where they signed this player from, I understand. Cassini Yengi signed from Western Sydney Wanderers for a I believe an undisclosed free, left winger, 24 years old. And he's one of those inside forwards that we mentioned. So he's a left winger, but he's right footed. Played just enough minutes where I think his sample size is good enough. Uh, according to Scout, he played 985 minutes of A-League football, which is the top tier in Australia. Four goals and two assists in that time. 17 matches where 11 of them he started. He had 3.06 expected goals and 0.91 expected assists. Purely from that, it looks as if he's purely a more attacking wide player who could also potentially play up front in a pinch. Jack, what do you think of Yengi? You did a thread on him. To me, just looking at his numbers, he just seems like, again, an aggressive forward, but to an even bigger extreme where I don't see as much creativity coming from him. I think if he plays, the fullback will be overlapping him an awful lot if we're going for crossing. And he's going to cut inside an awful lot and dribble at the defenders. What do you think? Uh, yeah, you know, I'll touch on the positives first because that's that's way more fun. One really quite niche statistic that stuck out to me was his dribbles versus centre-backs. And 73.3% of the time he kept possession. So if we're going for a really specific area, he's quite good at that. He's a really strong finisher, although, you know, maybe he's not got the goals how he'd want. That doesn't necessarily mean he's not a strong finisher. He's got a nice finish in and he's just like a, a demon physically. He's huge, but also like really mobile, which I love because you chuck him up top and he's not your, your stereotypical target man, receive to feet or to chest and then play out. He can drop, he can link, he can move and he can create separation on the weaknesses. And I agree with you on the creative side. His XA is XA, so expected assists is pretty low. That does kind of not concern me, but worry me for a winger. In that, even if they're an inside forward, you do want that level of creativity for the front line. And yet, kind of similarly to to Gavin White, he needs to add a level of consistency to his game and just get an, again another solid year of football under his belt. Especially because it's his first year in, in League One, you want to get off to a good start. He doesn't have to be amazing or or remarkable. He just needs to get. 30 to 40 games under his belt, solid number of goals, decent performances, and then he can really kick on next year. Geoff, looking at the sort of player he is, what's the comparable here with the the A-League? Because we're, obviously we're not entirely sure. I'm seeing, When I was looking at his stats and comparing him to other wingers, some names were popping out at me, which gave me a lot of nostalgia. Roman Amelfitano, Craig Noon, Ryan Williams. From the video that I watched of him, he's got a pretty good shot on him and his like Jack mentioned, his dribbling is exceptionally good uh, for a young player who's just sort of came into his own a little bit. What sort of impact do you see him having? Because you would assume that he'd be the understudy behind Anthony Scully, but also can be played up top if 
probably a chase in the game and wants to go for a two up top or something. Yeah, I I don't really know where I fully see him fitting in in terms of as either a wide player or a central player. I think, yeah, he can do both pretty reasonably well. In terms of player kind of translation from the A-League, I know that Plymouth signed a forward Ben Wayne in, I think, January last season from Wellington Phoenix, who had a pretty good goal rate there. You know, I only played 10 times for them, but I think... I think Ryan on the Three Lads in the Pub podcast po- pointed out the A-League season is a lot shorter than the um, League One season, and that might take a bit of getting used to for Yengi. So, I mean, I like him as a player. I think he's definitely got potential to yeah, play really well in League One, but you might not see him as much as you like. I know yeah, he's got a load of social media hype about him, which is great, and I think yeah, he will go on to do well. However, you know, we might not see him as much as people might want just because he's just getting used to that. Saturday, Tuesday, Saturday, Tuesday, relentlessness of football. Plus also the fact it's really cold here that, you know, you're going to be playing, you know, Melbourne City in 35 degree heat and then you're playing Fleetwood away in minus two. It's, you know, a totally different game. But yeah, in terms of his goal scoring, I I was really impressed how all his goals in the A-League and the playoffs last year were all inside the box. So if you were to play as a striker, you'd kind of have him down as a kind of penalty box striker. Um, yeah, scored 10 from 8.3x expected goals. So, you know, slightly outperforming that. Yeah, and that game against Crawley as well, I believe all, all three of his goals were inside the box. But my favourite thing about him really is that six of his goals were from his right foot and four was from his left foot. And two-footed players, I love, you know, you can, we've seen it before, Rico Hackett's got a you know, wand of a left foot, but his right foot, it's not great. And so, you know, if you can be dangerous, you know, poacher, fox in the box, whatever you want to call it, and just be able to get you know something on the ball in the box with either foot, then you are a massive asset in League One. So I'm excited to see him. Yeah, as I say, he might not play as much as we want him to, but you know I, I'd expect him to either be you know chucked on up front as a replacement if we go from a four-three-three to a four-four-two, or start out wide in a game. But yeah, I'm not sure what kind of plans Massinho has for him starting the season. But, I can see him initially being. The understudy to Scully. Um, yeah. I liked the point of the two-footedness because Gav Hutchinson from the Stacey West mentioned Anthony Scully also having that two-footedness to a certain degree. So I like the similarity between the two. There were two stats that jumped out of me, one good, one bad, that I wanted to go through. Key passing, where passing led to a chance. He was around average in the league, but his total passing accuracy for wingers was fifth out of the sample I had, which for all wingers is actually quite good. The other problem, though, is, and I think this is a big one, considering the transition of league he's moving into, he was second last for all wingers in offensive duels, and that basically means the ball gets knocked off him a fair bit. Now, that could be for multiple reasons. That could be because, he, that could be because he's taking risks in dribbles and trying to get into the penalty area and attacking the defenders, or it might be because he's, you know, m- maybe the physical game might be a bit much... And then that translation into the football league where the physicality is a big thing. And sometimes that's underestimated an awful lot. That could potentially be a problem. And Jack, what do you think of those two things? Obviously, it will take Yengi a while to get used to so many things. The climate, the country, the league, etc. Do you see him properly fitting given, given, a, given a proper chance at any rate? I think, and I was, I was going to allude to this anyway, so I'll jump in here. But, um, so Petr Petrov on Twitter, I hope I'm pronouncing your name right. He's a football analyst for, I believe, Football Radar. 
also an, an A-League fanatic. He's talked a lot about Yangi over the years and he, he loves Yangi in terms of his potential. But one issue is his, his fitness and his, not just fitness, his injury record and just getting his body right. So that is, that's huge. And if it feels like we say quite a lot of new signings, but they need to get their bodies right and not, you know, have constant injuries that delay their development because Yangi could play for Australia one day. That is not an exaggeration. I'm not hyping him up unnecessarily. He has the potential to do that, but he has to get his body right. That's, that's so important. Petter is well worth a follow on Twitter, by the way. He's, some really good stuff in terms of adapting to the league yeah it's it's huge it's all well and good doing it in Australia but can he do it in 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 a really physical division in League One he that will remains to be seen so yeah I'm kind of skirting around your point because I don't really have an interesting answer for it he's going to have to adapt he has the physicality for it but does he have the ability to cope with the physicality if that makes sense no I completely guess it because a player can come in with the size and obviously the physical structure to be able to deal with those things. But it's about adapting when a stern football league fullback tackles you. And if you're trying to dribble him and then he'll tackle you again and again, and or what we're playing to Bristol Rovers on Saturday, Bristol Rovers defenders often put a boot in, in the first five minutes to try and put off a player and that's not exclusive to them. Lots of football league sides do that. It's about getting used to those little subtleties that don't come up in the statistics very often. But I hope that Yengi crushes it. I really hope he does. We're going to stay on the wing. And for a player I don't know that much about, and I'm quite reticent of, but again, he's in a backup role and he fits multiple places. I'm talking about Abu Kamara. Signs on loan from Norwich City, 19 years old, can play both wings. He hasn't played that much senior football, and that's a big worry. He's made three appearances at senior level in the championship for the Canaries. But according to football reference, he's only made, played 39 minutes of football. Now, how many times have people heard me on this show complain about signing players on loan who have barely played any senior football whatsoever? So that's something to keep in mind. Before I go into any more details, Joff, Am I overreacting again by just purely looking at the fact that he's barely played any senior football and just writing him off completely? Because obviously we have the wing depth here, so it's not as if it's not as if he's just going to come in and start immediately, I don't think. He's basically going to be the third option on the left and the right hand side, won't he? I don't think it's unfair to say that you're hesitant about this, you know. We've been hurt by players who, you know, have looked amazing in youth football and then just not been able to make the step up, step up, whether that's due to physicality, whether that's due to just ability, whether that's due to attitudes, you know, loads of factors go into it, you know, relocating somewhere else on loan, you know, that could be tough, for, you know, a young person, you know, you know, people find it tough moving away from home to go into uni, it's a similar thing. So I don't think you're overreacting. In terms of statistics, you know, he looks good, but Dane Scarlett looks good, but then you could say Jezrin Raksaki looks really good you know so it could be it's two sides of a coin it, it could go either way so these players are a risk but you know I think as we said before you know for me it's a calculated risk and a pretty well calculated risk at that yeah from looking at him he's a frontline player Messina said in the on the fans forum tonight that he sees him as a wide player or someone who can play as a 10 despite that most of his minutes in the Premier League 2 so that's the 
Premier League youth division and he was playing in the second division of that for the Norwich team was as a centre forward but he has good goal scoring from all of these positions he's scored 31 goals in 48 games which is pretty good it's 0.94 goals per 90 which yeah very impressive but you know again I said Scarlett looks great and looked great for us for about six games and then kind of didn't Raksaku looked amazing but a player who who had a very similar rate a couple of years before him and it's a similar age as uh, Joe Gelhart, who plays for Leeds and, you know, he scored in the Premier League against Chelsea and did really well at Sunderland last year. So these players, you don't know what's going to come from them, but I think it's a good calculated risk. And, you know, if it doesn't work out, then, you know, you can go back on loan. You can go back in January and he can be loaned out somewhere else. But yeah, versatility, centre forward, right wing, left wing, second striker, good goal scoring record. It's definitely worth a stab out on loan. Let's hope we're not paying silly money in terms of wage percentage, I guess. Yeah, I don't want to know how many, how much money we were playing for loan players last season. Before I bring you in, Jack, quickly, I'm going to bring up some opinions from Connor Southwell, and this was related to on the main show as well, so I'll be brief with this. He's the Norwich, Chief Norwich City reporter for the Eastern Daily Press, which is a local paper. He said that Kamara is attracting a lot of excitement from the Norwich fans, and he's very good technically, a good runner and a good finisher, and has operated across the front lines up front, both wings. And he's considered a late a late developer, but also a striker who drifts to the left. I assume that's where he's played most of his youth football. What, what impact do you think Kamara will have on this side? Um, I purely see him as an exciting backup to bring off of the bench in those positions, considering we have actual depth on the wings on paper at the very least. Uh, yes, I'm glad Joff mentioned uh, Messino's assessment, actually, because I actually agree with Messino's assessment for this one. There's been a few uh, of his appraisal of players that I'm not entirely agreeing with like for example he described Terry Devlin as an attacking midfielder I don't see that at all whereas for this one I actually completely agree he's spent most of his time in youth football as a number nine but he doesn't quite have the body for it in men's football at the moment and he could do with like a number of physical development just to kind of use his body a bit more to become an EFL number nine um, so yeah I like him off the right or as a second striker in terms of the the, the intangible, not the intangibles, but the, the the things you won't see in data that I like about Abu, he's got a really, from what I've seen anyway, he's got a really good understanding of space and the ability just to create that separation from his marker. So he uses double movements or you know some nice little body feints to lose his man. He's got a real mobility and energy about his game and you know, a confidence and a swagger and a bit of an arrogance that because he hasn't been you know, blooded in EFL yet and he's not had those really negative experiences. He can, you know, just go at his man and, you know, not, he's not afraid to do a couple of tricks or, you know, he's not been, you know, harmed by the negative, scary experiences of, you know, coming up against a wise and DFL right back. And yeah, you know, in terms of the negatives, he's got no senior experience really. I think he's played 30 odd minutes. I might got the numbers wrong, but it's there or thereabouts. So it'll be interesting to see if he can adapt to men's football. And yeah, he could do with another physical development or just learning how to use his body to become an EFL number nine. And finally, his defensive awareness isn't the best and defending wide areas isn't the best. So when you're out of possession, I'd like to see him kept quite central uh, just because he's not... Sometimes he'll jump out to press a a winger or a fullback, for example, and he'll leave huge amounts of space behind him. Whereas when he's just central and he's he's covering off a pivot and he's, he's blocking a passing lane, He's all right. He can do that. So yeah, just learning how to play the, the out of possession side of the game, that would be a development he could learn and, and yeah, would really benefit him. Well, look, but obviously Pompey had a load of 
creative and attacking problems last season. And a lot of that came down to end product and movement off the ball was a big thing. And this isn't just for wingers, by the way. This is probable over the pitch. If either of you want to jump in on this, do you think the attacking players that we brought in this summer as a whole is a help to sort that problem? Or do you think there's still more needed in terms of creativity and movement off the ball? I think for me, it will be something that we should have got sorted under preseason. I think, you know, we're wanting to play in a style where there is movement off the ball to create space, whether that's a winger coming in size, a winger staying wide and letting a fullback come through. It can be, yeah, a bunch of different things. But one thing I noticed quite a lot last season is that our midfield kind of, when we're playing with a midfield three, that the two midfielders ahead of the six actually had pretty decent movement off the ball, but just wouldn't get it quickly enough. I think it was the last game of the season that I think Towler had a ball a lot at left centre-back and just didn't give the first-time pass. Obviously, it's, you know, it's a lot easier to kind of see still at the back, back of the fratten end, right? And, you know, that video that, um, it's been going around Twitter where I think it's Yuri Tielemans has got a GoPro on in pre-season shows you how intense professional football is. You know, it's a lot harder than it looks from you know, watching on the TV or up on the terraces. But it's one of those things where I think if we are confident and we can trust the quick passes that our movement off the ball is reasonable at the moment. And we just, you know, for me at times just need to release the ball quicker. But again, you know, it's something that's very easy to say when you're a fan and, you know, not playing the game on the pitch. Just, just tagging on to that, um, I completely agree with that. There, I like Morel and, and Lowry's movement. Um, I think against Bristol City the other day, there was a lot of good third man runs from Lowry, which I really liked. Morel wasn't as involved, but that's more of an outlier. Again, there's an issue with not getting the ball quick enough, but I also think those two midfielders aren't the best in the final third. So you're a bit blunt. So even though you have that movement, even if they receive the ball quickly, they can't really influence the game as much from there which is, I'm sure, we'll get to it later. I know we will, but we need another midfield signing that can influence in the final third because we just don't have it at the moment. You know, Morel and Larry, they don't have good ball striking. I mean, that's the main point. They're not good ball strikers and that shows off in their goals, Halley, and in the statistics. So we just need a midfielder that can influence in the final third and, and add to our goals because the goals from midfield last year, they were basically all from screamers or set pieces, which I, I don't like. Because although they, you know, goal counts the same as any other goal, it's not as uh, consistent, and you could, it's not as replicate replicable, replicable. Got there in the end. So yeah, just adding that attacking midfielder who can, you know, be an influence in the final third is is huge for me. Yeah, and considering that was the main point of conversation in a lot of the fans' forums and on social media over the past well week or so now, I think that's the prevailing thought a lot of, of Porter fans' minds. I think we're going to move, move to the back. We're going to go at centre half, and I. I'm in two minds about this signing in different ways. Regan Poole on a free from Lincoln City, centre back, 25 years old, five foot eight, five foot nine in height. But some of his defending is particularly good. One of the main things, defensive positioning with Lincoln, he was outstanding at that. Very comfortable on the ball. Apparently, was able to pass the ball out into space and into the right channels, which is brilliant. It's exactly what Pompey needed. They need a right-footed centre-half for quite some time. I know, obviously, Pompey missed out on Deshaun Bernard, who was confirmed that has gone to Sheffield Wednesday about a few hours ago, which is a shame. But Regan Paul certainly is an option to fill in that role. Played 45 league matches last season for Lincoln. 
And he seemed to be one of their stalwart defenders. Um, just as a general point, do either of you think that Regan Paul is a good signing and do you think he'll be in the first team in the back four? For anyone that doesn't know, which would be most people, I'm not a tall person. I'm 5'9 on a good, on a bad day, 5'10. It depends who's asking. Um, and I was, I was still waiting for a beer at Gosport Borough during pre-season and Regan Paul walked past and we're a very similar height. He's slightly taller. But he's, he's, and Weisgut's got him listed at 5'11. Um, and yeah, I'd agree with that. He's not the tallest. So he would need a Connor Shocknessy next to him or a Sean Raggett because, you know, he's not the best aerially. There's nothing he can do about that, in my opinion. I don't think that'll improve much due to his physiology. But obviously, that does come with benefits and his 1v1 defending, for example. But I, I love Regan Paul. I, for me, he's one of the best defenders in the division. I think there's others I slightly prefer, but he's, he's up there. He's got good ball progression, although you might not have seen that as much at Lincoln, but I think that's more a symptom of the style. Uh, he's got really good 1v1 defending because of his height, actually. And, you know, you look at like Alessandro Martinez, for example, at uh, uh, Manchester United, because he got the low centre of gravity, they can dictate direction, they can shift and be agile. Yeah, another thing I really like is his ball recoveries. I saw it once, I believe, against Bristol City, and he carried the ball out from the fence from that right half space. He lost it in, uh, around the halfway line. And straight off that, he didn't moan. He sprinted back. He won the ball back. Uh, and that's the kind of attitude I love and I think really complements his style. And for an intangible, it's his leadership. I was watching him really closely on, on Saturday against Bristol City. And he was constantly motivating and encouraging Will Norris and Connor Shocknessy through the game. And that's just a quality you love to see in a centre-back. Obviously, he won't shop in the stats because I'm not sure passion per 90 will come up much. But, you know, just that leadership is, is really nice and it can just add to our leadership group. So is that passion with UN at the end of it? Yeah, P-A-S-H-U-N. Yeah, yeah so I'm it's, sure it does. But, yeah. but given his background at Manchester United as well, youth football, he's going to have that quality that arguably players who didn't go for a high-level academy will have that mentality to be able to be a leader, for example. Obviously, not every player who goes for a high-end academies has that, but you would imagine that given the, stru- the stature that he would have that, but also him being comfortable on the ball and being able to pick a pass. I went through this on the main show, so I'm not going to go through it in a lot of detail, but some of the passing stats were a bit off from what I looked at. From last season under Scout. he was low down on general passing accuracy with 72.66% accuracy. I think it was below half for all centre-halves that played at least 1,000 minutes. His forward passing of 40, just over 14 per 90 was... accuracy, but something that I pointed out was it was similar to his fellow centre-half partner, Paddy O'Connor. Now, Paddy O'Connor, for those who don't know, before he went to Lincoln, he was at Bradford City, and he was one of the few ball-playing centre-halves in that division, was asked to progress the ball an awful lot. And in a similar way, in progressive passes, Paul averaged 8 per 90 with 60% accuracy. Again, around the average mark, but again, very similar to his other centre-half partner, TJ Ayoma. Again, that, that points to the fact that maybe the similarity in stats might relate to Lincoln's style of play. Joff, mentioning those, do you think I should just look at the player from what we see? Because from what I've seen of reading, Paul is very comfortable on the ball and is positionally aware and can bring it out. Do you think that those stats, considering the fact that he played for Lincoln City and they weren't progressing the ball out from the back that much. And the fact that they're similar to other centre-halves, do you think that's why they're not as high as you would expect for the sort of player that Paul is? Yeah, I think there's 
there's something that you can do when you're looking at statistics on top of putting, you know, things per 90. You know, if someone scores, comes on for three minutes and manages to score two goals, then, they're, you know, the goals per 90 is going to be massive, but you've got to kind of think, okay, you know, players who've played over 900 minutes or 1,000 minutes, you know, 900 minutes being 10 full, 10 full 90s is, a, is, you know, a good way to kind of benchmark people. But another way of doing looking at things is adjusting it for possession. So if you're a low possession team, you know, your kind of volume of passes might not stand out, your volume of key passes. I know that someone who, when you kind of adjust people's passing and key passing statistics for kind of progressive passes and key passes is um, Josh Brownhill at Burnley. You know, when they're in the Premier League, they didn't, didn't have a lot of the ball, but in the Championship, you know, it looks a quality player because they are a possession dominant side. And, you know, players don't often, you know, if they're playing for a team lower down the table, they don't often get the chance to do that. In terms of passing statistics that I have here that, you know, his passes per 90 are in, uh, he's in the top 30th percent, uh, top, yeah, 30th percentile passing accuracy, you know, very middling, but his progressive pass ratio is high. And that is good because, you know, when he gets the ball, he'll know when to you know, know when to, you know, look for a killer pass, you know, maybe carry the ball forward a bit. So he's someone who does like to play the ball forward and, you know, given given an opportunity in a hopefully higher possession side that he'll be able to do that well. Yeah, I've just looked up quickly the the possession stats from last season in League One. Lincoln were third bottom with just over 43% possession, whereas Pompey possession was actually fourth in the entire of League One with 54.4%. So he is going to get significantly more of the ball which is good and given his defensive positioning that should be brilliant as well jack you mentioned a good point about his potential centre-half partner because thinking about it here in my opinion the best playing centre-halves might arguably pool and towler but considering pool's height you might want a taller centre-half next to him so of the other options we have if we assume that pool's starting in the back four, who should play next to him to start against Bristol Rovers? At the moment, I'm all on the uh, kind of shock to see hype train, even though, you know, I'm putting in the extra effort to get his pronunciation right. But yeah, I mean, when Connor signed, I viewed him as a bit of a bit part, not a bit part, but a squad player who can fill in at centre-back or midfield in certain games. But in pre-season, I've been so impressed by him. You know, it's not just that he's really physically dominant, he's a tall guy, oh, it's not the quickest, but, you know, you can mitigate that with certain players. He's really comfortable on the ball, which surprised me, actually, being that he's played inside to aren't ball dominant, so hasn't been really exposed to that style of football as much. And, you know, he, he seems like he fits the style pretty well, and he's he's not afraid to put his foot on the ball and wait, and he's not he's comfortable in carrying it out or passing it long. And, yeah, I mean, you've got Sean Waggett, who is even more physically impressive. He's got one of the best aerial duel rates in, in the country, I'd, I'd say, probably, and definitely in League One. So that's an option. But, you know, with Sean, you don't really get the ball playing ability, unfortunately. And yeah, I, I wouldn't partner Towler and Paul. I love both of them individually. Paul a bit more than Towler because I think Towler is, he's got quite a few things that he needs to develop in his game. But yeah, for now, it will be Regan Paul and Connor Shockness at centre back. I think there's a good level of ball playing, but also a good level of physicality and 1v1 defending. And they can kind of make up for each other's weaknesses and, and boost each other's positives, which is ultimately the, the aim of any partnership, right? Yeah, exactly. There needs to be the balance there. And obviously the problem is I keep on thinking to the now glory days of our of the Pompey centre half partnerships of old. 
were blessed with Burgess and Watmore or Burgess and Clark or Watmore and Clark, who could pretty much do all of those things. And somehow the club didn't get promoted, but there we are. We'll move on from that very quickly. Geoff, looking at, again, I wanted to look at these, at this passing stuff. Since you mentioned that really he, he should be okay as the main ball carrier and ball distributor. Do you think that the centre-half partner who plays next to him has to have some form of passing ability? Because if it's just Regan Paul, then if I were the opposition, and I'm managing a high-pressing team, for example, I would just put the winger and the striker on him to close him down really quickly. And if Pompey, especially at home, are going to have a lot of possession, they want to play the ball out from the back, that's going to be a problem if they're going to single him out. So in that case, if we're assuming Shaughnessy is the lesser tough is going to start. Is this ball playing ability good enough to partner him? Or if not, do we need another ball playing centre half, which was sort of a theme that we may have mentioned on the main show? Um, I think that if you play a team that is more likely to be down the kind of lower end of League One, then you'd start with Paul and Shocknessy. And I think, is that, is that how you say his name? Shocknessy? Yeah, that he is his kind of progressive pass ratio again is is high you know it's good you know likes to play ball forward make passes between the lines and I think you know he's also massive and you know comfortable defensively so I think that's perfect although you know if you're playing a team on the other hand that are you know going to be more dominant say you're playing Bolton away or you know another team that's going to be in and around the playoffs then you might want to play Sean Raggett or Riley Towler, depending on, you know, if you're wanting a left-footed player there or someone who's just going to win headers all day long. In terms of kind of that back two composition, if you're talking about the two centre-backs, then yeah, Regan Paul is that, for me, that nailed on starter in the right centre-half role. And then whoever, I think it might be a case of whoever is the best fit for each, you know, for each game. Though that being said, you know, partnerships are one of the most important things that you can have at this level. And, you know, if you've got a solid League One partnership and, you know, they're not, you know, not doing too many things wrong, then you should, you know, you should stick with it. But then again, to counter up my own point, you are going to need rotation at this level if there are two games a week. So, you know, it's about Messinio finding that right balance and playing the right players in the right sides. And hopefully he's, again, not afraid to drop players because, you know, he, he in my eyes, kind of a bit harshly at the time, but drops Towler uh, at the back end of last season. And then he came back and he looked better. And, you know, hopefully he's going to be able to do that again with, you know, players, if they're not playing up to standard, you know, if Shockness is starting left centre back and isn't doing what he wants, then it's cool. You've got two guys ready, ready to go, potentially three. If Ogilvy wants to, you know, do a shift at left centre back, then great. You've got, you've got people competing for those places, which is, you know, really, really important. Yeah, I can see rotation being a key thing at this Pompey side. And I think that would be key for like a promotion push, really, because there are a few of the players who you look at and think, okay, they're in the, they're the first team. They're going to be starting every game of the week, almost nailed on. But a lot of the places are up for grabs. And I think one of those positions now is left back with the new signing of Jack Sparks. Comes in again on the free transfer from Exeter City, 22 years old, around five foot eights to five foot ten so again on the shorter side made 35 appearances for Exeter last season in a fairly good campaign that petered off at the end and 25 of those were starts 
one goal and two assists from left back. And he's also played at left wing back and is considered a more attacking option than Ogilvy, almost like a polar opposite. Sparks will be playing at centre half. I think he's got more chance of playing on the wing if it, if he plays anywhere else other than left back. And from there, he had 1.83 expected goals and 2.41 expected assists, which was top thirdish for attacking out for nothing, not miles away in League One, just for left backs, but again, fairly solid. He was average in the duels, so his tackles were fairly reasonable. His defensive duels were slightly above average, which is good to see for uh, perhaps a shorter defender. That that was a worry on my mind before looking at the statistics. His aerial duel rate is in the bottom third, but you'd expect that being a slightly smaller defender and his possession adjusted interceptions of 5.1 are around average as well. Jack, do you see the Sparks and Ogilvy rotation? Do you just see that purely on, well, who who Pompey are playing and whether it's home and away? Because I, I, I see that, because I do like Jack Sparks. I've seen him play. I can see his qualities going forward. But I think against certain opposition, I think Ogilvy would be preferable in the left-black slot, won't you? With both of our fullbacks to an extent, so is in the right back and in the left back slot, you can now go off a case by case basis where certain teams you'll want a really defensively solid fullback in Conor Ogilvy, who is good in the air, good in the duel, that kind of thing. But if you're coming up against a low block, for example, you're going to want a Jack Sparks who's really technically secure, although maybe not as good defensively as Ogilvy. I think it's pretty hard because I was really good defensively. You know, someone who can break down the low block and is a good pass of the ball and is technically secure. So in terms of my metrics for left-backs to Jack Sparks versus other EFL left EFL League One left-backs last season, he's in the top uh, 24% for expected assists, which I really like. Top 11% for crosses from the left flank per 90. So, you know, you can see, and, and just from the, the video I've watched as well, because obviously you can see all the data you want. If that's not backed up by what you see, it's kind of meaningless to an extent. He's really good in possession. Not the quickest, but that doesn't entirely worry me if you put the right players around him. So, you know, you have people around him that have good recovery uh, pace or good defensive positioning. And another quality he has, he has really good set-piece delivery, which I noticed in the Bristol City game and in a couple of other games, our set-pieces, the delivery itself hasn't been good enough. Whereas Jack Sparks, not me, for obvious reasons. He's got really nice set piece delivery and and yeah, just his crossing the ball and his creative output, I really like. And yeah, you know, he's not the best defensively and he's not the quickest, but the defensive side can be coached and the quick the lack of huge speed that can be worked around. That's not a huge issue for me. Yeah, you mentioned his crossing, which is quite interesting. He crosses an awful lot at averaging four point three five per ninety. A lower accuracy of roughly 28%, but the fact that he's crossing a lot more, unless you leave Davis, who was insane last season, then you'd expect that for some players. I do fact the fact that he was one of the most prolific dribblers in his position, similar to Nathaniel Ogbetter, that was a comparable that came up, who I really liked, who was on loan at Peterborough from Swansea last season, previously at Shrewsbury. And he has 65.65% accuracy. And imagine Sparks dribbling on that left side, and then Scully cutting into the penalty area and Bishop running into the penalty area, but also the right the right wing attacking in as well, packing that penalty area and allowing space for Sparks to attack with pace and quickness, which is what Massino is after. Joff, do you think that, that quality from Sparks in terms of his attack output was definitely needed, considering that last season, Ogilvy was definitely the main man at left back because Hume in a back four wasn't defensively reliable at all, whereas I think Sparks is looking at him play anyway. 
Yeah, I think there was a lot of lot of stuff said on Twitter when we signed him saying great player going forward, awful defensively. And you think, ah, we signed Denver Hume, Mark II. But looking into the analytics, one thing that stood out to me was his defensive duels won. Um, and that this is a kind of this is one of those stats which I've got put possession and adjusted, so it's kind of fair. It's a fair test. He is he is better than two thirds of the rest of the fullbacks in the league. So I think for me, that's you know, that's pretty good if you're better than you know, if there's a hundred of you and you're better than sixty six of them, amazing. But going forward, yeah, I've yeah, I've seen him a fair amount in person. Um my parents are located in Exeter, so whenever I go and visit them I'll always go if extra playing at home, watch that with my old man and you know, he excelled as a left wing back when uh, they were in League Two playing as uh, the three at the back system. He looked really, really good. Him on the left and then Josh Key, who I believe has gone to Swansea, who is the right wing back, both looked really, really solid going forward and defensively in that three at the back system. And one thing I noticed and have seen him do a couple of times is that kind of late arrival at the back post if all the players been down the right. I mean, well, I think one of my favourite goals from last season, Ogilvy scored a goal like that where he arrives late in the back post and just slots it in. I think it was against Cambridge where we won 4-1 at home and it was definitely worth the 10 quid I paid on iFollow. But he's scored you know, a good few goals like that and his delivery of set pieces and crosses as well, amazing. Yeah, against AFC Wimbledon when he came on, he did do one of those, uh, it wasn't as bad, but one of those Rico Hackett touches where he just kind of spinned out on the touchline and let the ball go. But after that, he was a lot more composed, looked really good. Yeah, played some nice kind of balls down the channel for, I think it was Kamara who was play- who'd been shifted out to the left-hand side then. And then we yeah, had a couple of free kicks that he whipped in really well. And yeah, we were unlucky to score from for those set pieces. So I think, yeah, I really like the signing. I think he's a good contrast to Ogilvy. And I like that the fact that, uh, yeah, as Jack said, in both the right-back and left-back spot, we've got kind of a, more defensively solid and, you know, a bit of a younger, more kind of progressive, more attacking option there as well. And, you know, it's, as yeah, you guys have said, it's kind of a horses for courses thing. We can, you know, we can switch and rotate as and when. If we're chasing a game, we can bring both those guys on, totally switch up our style of play. And if we want, and if we're wanting to sit in and defend, you know, a two goal lead or whatever, you know, Ogilvy and Ref to your men. So a really, really good option. Just, just add into that actually, because I mentioned earlier his technical security and security. And what I mean by that specifically is he's quite press proof. He's good when he has the ball at his feet. A couple of times um, in preseason, so uh, for Sparks for the Havant game, I've noticed he in build up he'll move inside, so almost into the midfield, um, which you don't see much at League One level. And you also saw it. Swanson did it once when he came on against Bristol City, and you know that level of technical security and, and press proofness. I'll, I'll coin that phrase now. Um, that's really good in build-up because obviously you're laughing, Joff. We're going to have to coin more phrases just to uh, get the giggles going. But yeah, just it gives you another dimension in, in build-up. And if you're coming up against a really high press, I know, I can't remember who Arsenal played in pre-season, but it was a German side, I believe. They went, they pressed really highly in build-up and Arsenal countered this by inverting a, a fullback into midfield to outnumber the opponent. So that kind of quality can be really good and really handy when you come up against a high-pressing team. And there's quite a few in League One. So yeah, just I really like that quality of, uh, of Sparks' game. Yeah, like you mentioned, I think it needs to be a balanced side. It needs to be a deep side for Portsmouth to get into a playoff hunt, I think. I think considering the fact that Probably not going to be one of those clubs that's going to play an awful lot of money for one or two players. It's going to have to be a balanced setup for the squad. 
For a bit of brevity's sake, I'm going to go over Ryan Schofield a bit quickly. Backup goalkeeper by the looks of things. Signed from Huddersfield Town on the free transfer. 23 years old, six foot two. We went over him in a fair and a bit of detail on the main show as well. The best season he had was for Huddersfield Town, but that was a word that was a while ago now. Had a strong prevented goals metric of six point eight five in that time. Where looking at the shot quality against him, he saved roughly nearly seven goals for that squad, roughly. He had low distribution numbers. His distribution was quite poor in terms of his long passes, his progressive passes as well. But I think purely down to the fact that he's been brought in, it looks like Will Norris is going to be the starter. Will Norris is three-year deal. Ryan Scotia is a one-year deal. I purely think that this is the sort of signing that Portsmouth should be making as a backup keeper because he's played in the Football League before, has a number of games. Yes, it hasn't gone right for him with loan spells at Crawley and Abernian. But in terms of reclamation projects on a no-risk one-year deal, I think it's the right sort of signing. Do either of you want to have a quick opinion on Schofield before we move on to the next segment? I think I signed him on an FM save once and he did okay. That's my only um, brilliant contribution. <laughs> Superb. <laughs> Draft save this bit, please. I mean, his pre- his prevented goals uh, metrics that you mentioned, yeah, really good. Unfortunately, I don't have a Y Scout license at the moment, so I don't really have a chance to look at metrics like that because... They're not that freely available. If you know of stuff like that, please let me know. But yeah, you know, a solid backup keeper, someone who's looking to kind of get their career back on track, I guess, you know, fortunately been at Crawley, which is, you know, it's, well, it's just shambles over there. Perfect, I guess, perfect keeper for, you know, those cup games. What's it? It's the Papa John's now, isn't it? Yeah, I was going to say the paint trophy, but that was years ago. Um, it was the checker trade after that. Yeah, the Papa John's. I was going to say, are you going to say the LDV Vans trophy at some point? That's what it was in like 2005. <laughs> no, but my friend did refer to the Carabao Cup as the Caribbean Cup recently, which I found amusing. Yeah, but for those kind of early rounds of the Carabao Cup and FA Cup, if we're against kind of sides at our level, you know, I don't think if we draw Newcastle away in the FA Cup, we're, he's going to be starting, but you know, a decent keeper. And, you know, if he's at the same level as he was with Huddersfield, then, you know, be someone to be challenging Norris, which is, you know, competition for places is always very, very, very needed, I think, in this division. All right, I'm here with Ollie from the Gascast. And Ollie, thanks for coming on the show. No worries. Thanks for having me. Yeah, good to be here. No, much appreciated. And the start of the season is here. It's been, it's been like, I feel like it's been trembling towards the start of the season, pre-season games. They don't quite hit, hit the mark, do they? But I was having a think about you guys and your summer, having a look at your transfers. And for me, it looks, it looks fairly promising. You've not bought in, say, a lot of players, but you have bought in some quality. So how, how are Rovers fans feeling about the season so far and, you know, approaching this first game? And is, is the outlook quite positive like that? I'd say Rovers fans are feeling worryingly positive about the new season. Um, I think ever since the last season ended, the word from the club has very much been that this season we're kind of going for it and and aiming for a playoff place. Um, so last season we finished around 17th or so and we're very much a kind of lower mid-table side that never really looked like threatening above that position. Um, but yeah, the summer business definitely has been encouraging you know we're going after a standard of player at this level that in my time supporting the club I I can't remember us ever targeting that level of player when we've been in this division so they are very much backing up the noise that they want to give it a bit of a go this season 
And I mean, preseason in general has just been really encouraging in terms of performances and results. Thing with preseason, you never know how much to read into it, do you? You know, we've had amazing preseasons and then been absolutely awful at the start of the season and vice versa. So I never try and read too much into preseason. But no, in general, the mood around Rovers going into this first game is just one of optimism, excitement. We realise that Saturday's a tough opening game, you know, probably one of the toughest we could have um, got, really. But yeah, really optimistic that even if we don't get the result we want on Saturday, the season overall should be a much better one than last season. You mentioned some of the signings that came in and some of them were quite positive. I noticed that Luke Thomas came in, who played under Bristol Rovers before, under Barton, previous on loan, I think. And so experienced defenders, George Friend, who's played in the championship for Yonks, and James Wilson, who was part of the Plymouth side that had gone up. Are you happy with those signings? Do you think they bolster the squad enough to match the, you know, the slight more ambitious expectations that the board have? Yeah, I think there's still more signings needed, probably expecting three or four more to come in. But I think what we've added so far has has definitely filled gaps in the squad that were there last season. Yeah, we had a very, very young back line last season and it was quite often our downfall the naivety and mistakes that young defenders make so Wilson and Friend coming in who have about 800 plus um, appearances in the Football League between them just instantly kind of ticks that box Luke Thomas as you said was on loan with us a couple of years ago in League 2 he then was at Barnsley last season had a bit of an injury hit season but he's come back and he just looks a different player in terms of he looks fitter, quicker. You know, when we were in League Two, he was going through sort of mental health struggles and he's apparently now sort of out the other side of those. He just looks better in himself and um, I think he's going to have a really good campaign. He's, he gives us a bit of pace out wide that we were lacking last season. Our, our attack last season was very kind of one-paced and, and not a lot of running in behind opposition defences and I think he'll give us that. Um yeah, we brought in young keeper Cox in goal as well, who was Brentford's number two last season. He was on the bench for them in about 25-odd games behind um, David Raya, their number one. So he's only a young lad. He's about 20 or so, but he's kind of England's un- under-20s uh, keeper, and he's really highly rated there. I think they see him as their kind of future number one. So it is his first loan spell, so you never know how it goes. But yeah, he, he's come with rave reviews. So, yeah, I think we've added some really nice touches. As I said, a few more to go, definitely. But what we've added should boost us from last season, definitely, in terms of quality. Yeah, how do you see Jerry Barton lining this, the team up from a, from a sort of a playing style? Is it going to be this, more of the same from the playing style that you had last season, sort of building on that? I think you obviously you've added a bit more experience at the back, which I think was sort of needed. I think you had quite a young defence, didn't you, from mm-hmm. memory before as well? Is it, is it going to be more of the same, but with a bit more of a dynamic and sort of experience sort of thrown into that, sprinkled in? So, I mean, I like Luke Thomas. I watched him play for Barnsley. Um, yeah. and I've, I really like him. I've been to a few of their games last season, got some Barnsley friends and people who listen to the podcast know that he's got that ability to just create something from nothing. So mm-hmm. you don't have to rely just on Collins, but is it more of the same then tactically, but hopefully with a bit more talent, basically? Yeah, I think so. I mean, from pre-season, we're very much going kind of almost 4-4-2, to be honest. Um, Sounds a little bit old school, but in that kind of front four with the two wingers and the two strikers, there is a lot of movement and rotation. And um, we got Aaron Collins and Giovanni Brown up front. 
and neither of them are really kind of your traditional number nine. They both want to kind of drop off into the number 10 position and they're kind of interchanging doing that whilst Luke Thomas and Sinclair on the wings switching over. And it is so it is very fluid. Um, I think we're, Barton said that we're going to look to sort of throw more men forward this season. I think at times we took a few hammerings um, last season and I think Barton got a bit conservative in his tactics and went a bit pragmatism um, in a way. And I think he's going to kind of take the shackles off this season because attack is by far the strongest part of our squad. So I think he kind of sees it as we're going to go and try and outscore um, a lot of teams this season, which uh, yeah should make some exciting games at the very least. So yeah, he wants to keep it on the floor. He wants to play out from the back, very much the modern way that you know Man City, Arsenal, etc. want to do, where you're starting off with the keeper. There's not going to be many lumps down the field from our defenders and goalkeeper. So I think there's going to be some nervy times. We've given away a few sloppy goals in pre-season where the keeper's trying to pass it to a centre-back and just gives it straight to their number nine who taps it in. So I think we could see a little bit of that at the start of the season. But yeah, it's, it's not going to be dull, I don't think. You think it's really important that he managed to keep by Aaron Collins because what was 16 goals and 10 assists last season that even many people would have seen him potentially moving to a championship club. But what's, what's the noises around that? Is he going to st- stick out for another season, do you think? I mean, end of last season, I was absolutely convinced he was going to leave. I probably gave it a 2% chance he'd be here at the start of this season. So I'm really surprised he's still here. Obviously, could still leave. The window's not shut yet. So we are keeping our fingers crossed. But there, to be honest, there hasn't been any rumours about him leaving. We've not heard anything about a championship club coming in and, and even putting a bid in. Um, even thought, to be honest, someone like you guys might come in from over the summer, you know, like a, a bigger League One club that were aiming to get up to the championship. I thought someone like you might come in. But as I said, unless they've kept it very quiet, there's been no bids coming for him. So it looks quite promising as we sit here today that he'll be with us at the start of the season. And I think if the club want to do what they're saying they want to do this season, it's absolutely integral that we've still got him because to replace him, especially at this kind of late stage, I think would be almost impossible. Um, Even if we got a decent fee, every club then knows you've got that fee sitting in your bank account and then charge you through the roof uh, for any player you try to get in. So yeah, absolutely vital that we keep him. And yeah, fingers crossed, it looks like we will do. I think it's very similar situation to Pompey and Colby Bishop. And mm. that's that, that sort of feeling that if we lost Colby, who pretty much scored the majority of all our goals last season, that's going to be a real issue. I think with us, we couldn't, Collins, maybe I know he can play out wide a bit if he needs yeah. to. I don't know if it was the fit for, for us because obviously we sort of playing a 4 3 3 formation. So he would have to play a bit wider. Um, whether he wants to do that, I don't know. Um, interesting with Giovanni Brown. How do you think they're going to pair together? I mean, obviously, there's a bit of controversy. Pompey mm. fans have known a bit about him anyway because there was a lot of talk of us buying him in January. And then, you know, the incident happened after that. But there's no doubting his talent is there as a player. And how do you think that's going to work well up front for you? Yeah, interesting one. Definitely controversial. Um, Yeah, a lot of debate between Rovers fans online when that sign-in was announced. Um, Yeah, I don't think everyone's still on board with it. Probably some people never will be, which which is, you know, understandable. Absolutely respect that opinion. But yeah, in terms of him as a player... Yeah, very, very talented. He's got a a great left foot. He's got a superb touch. He can go past a man. As I said earlier, he's he's very much a number 10 sort of attacking midfielder type player. Um, 
CX to fans on their forum. I was reading a bit when we were linked with him and they were saying, you know, don't play him right up the top because he's not that guy. He's the guy who wants to be behind the main striker, sort of in the hole, in the pockets. And um, yeah, he's looked really promising in preseason. He seems to have settled in well. Him and Collins played together when they were both at Forest Green at the start of their career as well. So they've kind of got a natural relationship and link up uh, between the two of them from those days as well. So I think that him and Collins are basically just going to dovetail between the two of them up top. And at times one of them will lead the line and then they'll switch round. Um, I think Collins can play out wide. I think Giovanni Brown can also play on the right and cut in on his left foot as well. So as I said earlier, I think it's just going to be very fluid and him, oh, sorry, the two of those, Collins Brown, Luke Thomas and Scott Sinclair, I can see them just kind of rotating and moving around depending on the opposition and how they're dealing with us. Um, so yeah, I don't think it's going to be a fixed position. I think it's just going to be dependent on the time in the game and where they're getting joy, essentially. Do you think that fluid high-pressing style of football, do you think we'll see that at Fratton Park? Do you think, especially since it's the start of the season, do you think Barton will throw the pragmatism away and let the leash off a bit? I think, yeah, I think he will um, because it's how we've been playing all pre-season and I think, uh, you know, I know it's the first game of the season, but it would then be a big step back from the tactics he wants to play this season to change that for the opening game. I think he'll basically just say, look, this is what we want to do this season. And we want to see if we can do it against another club who wants to be up there at the top of the division. Um, so, yeah, I think he will try and do that. Whether it works out uh, is another question. But I think definitely the intention for us going into the game on Saturday will be to try and dominate the ball, get on the front foot, um, attack with plenty of men going forwards. And, uh, yeah, we'll see what happens. But, no, I think that's 100% what he's going to try and do. Um, I don't know if you guys know, he's not actually going to be there on Saturday because he's got a stadium ban. <laughs> um, but I'm sure he'll be directing things from home in any way he can. But yeah, I think that's what we'll do for sure. Ollie, Ollie I've got you finishing ninth is my prediction for, for Rovers this season. I think you've just got the ability as a team to, you know, finish as high as a playoff position in sixth, but then maybe like as low as 13 if you lose some, lose some of your key attacking players is my takeaway for you as I said mm. I think you've got a lot of goals in your team and if you can if the additions at the back help shore you up then why not and it, it is quite an open playoff race isn't it this season let's be honest so what do you think of my take and how are you feeling about the, the team going forward I think your take's fair to be honest I think that's probably the more realistic um position for us you know we're all dreaming of playoffs but probably ninth tenth is is fair I think what you say as well about if we get a couple of injuries up top is also fair because although the first 11 I think is really strong and probably the strongest league one lineup we've had in many a year the depth behind them isn't of that same level so at, at the moment I think we are going to add another striker maybe another winger as well but for example, if Collins or Brown or Thomas were to be out for a couple of months, the guy who came in to replace them would be of a significantly lower quality at the moment. And that is definitely something that would obviously hamper us quite a lot. Um, having said that, Marquis, who I know obviously used to play for you lot, is looking... I mean, he had a good season for us last season, to be fair. He had a very, very good season. He wasn't first choice, but uh, in the games he played... His his stats per 90 in terms of goals for us last season were by far the best in our squad. Um, and this preseason, he's he's just carried that on, really. He scored three or four goals in preseason. 
looks fitter, leaner. Um, he's almost he's changed from the player he was at you guys as well. I know. I think he was more of a kind of poacher with you, whereas Barton's sort of filled him out a bit and made him into a target man, like a really traditional number nine. And he's kind of there to be the platform, you know, hit it up to him. He'll hold it off or flick it on. And that's kind of the player that he's become with us and then still try and get into the box on the end of a cross or something. So we've got him to come in. He may even start on Saturday. I wouldn't rule out him starting up top with Giovanni Brown and Collins playing off the left. It's something we've done quite a lot in pre-season. So Maybe he'll do that, but um, I remember coming to Fratton Park last season and Marquis just crumbled <laughs> under the under the flak from the crowd, and I think he got hauled off just after halftime because he was having a stinker, so maybe Barton will keep him on the bench because of that. But um, yeah, sorry, to go back to your question, I think ninth is fair. I think around that sort of level is is definitely fair, and I think if we finished around that sort of position, we'd all be pretty made up with that because, as I said, we were 17th last season and teetering a little bit above the relegation zone at times. So if we were to have a much more comfortable season, maybe flirt with the playoffs a little bit, I think we'd all take that, definitely. All right, let's just finish this off then. Two little questions, I suppose. How do you feel Pompey are going to do this season? Um, you see, I mean, people have been banding around all kinds of different sort of like things. Gabe Sutton's just trying to curse us after the MK Don's prediction for them winning the league and getting relegated and putting us first. I think most Pompey fans would be happy with the playoff place. But, you know, where, where do you see us, um, us finishing at the moment? Yeah, I mean, I, I would definitely expect you guys to have a, a strong season. I'm not sure I'd have you... Oh, in my prediction, I'm not sure I'd have you winning the league necessarily, but I think, you know, top six, top seven, I don't see there's any reason why you guys shouldn't be in that sort of sort of area. Um, Fratton Park is always, I mean, for us at least, it's always a really difficult place to go. I know our record at Fratton Park's just appalling and the atmosphere is always great there. So I can see you guys making that a bit of a fortress. I'm sure you, you aim to do that every season, but yeah. And you've made some... Uh, well, on paper, you've made some exciting signings. I know the the Australian um, forward you signed, whose name I'm not going to be able to pronounce on here, but Yengi. he's... There you go. There we go. Thank you. Yeah. Um, yeah, he's come with some quite promising reviews from what I've heard. And um, I know a few fa- fans of teams in Australia who rave about him. So, yeah, I'm quite interested to see what he does because he was a very sort of outside-of-the-box pickup for you guys. Um but yeah, I see no reason why you shouldn't be going for a playoff place, to be honest. But I wouldn't have you top, I don't think. I don't think any Pompey fan is going to place us top in a prediction. Okay. <laughs> yeah. <Fine>. yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> the game's very much on his own on that one then, is he? Yeah, I think he is. Yeah, I actually okay. feel bad because he um, Gabe came and spoke to me and Jack from our pod uh, and we did a, the preview show and I think we were quite excited at the time. I'm wondering whether us being so hyped after signing these players all in a line has potentially skewed his vision on how <laughs> how we talked him into it for an hour and an hour and a half discussing. I think, I think, discussing I think he can play, he, he, I think he compared Yangi in the blog that he could be the League One Henri, which is probably a wow. bit much. Probably nice. a bit much, I think, considering that he hasn't played in football league before. I think yeah, not top sure. not top twenty had a had a sixth, which I think around. Fifth to seventh is probably fair, to be honest, with where this team is. Yeah, a lot of Blues fans think there's like one or two players away, especially with that creative centre midfielder. But mm-hmm. we'll just have to see how it goes on the first day, I suppose. So your midfield at the moment: Pack, Morel. Who else would be in there in, in the midfield three? Probably Lowry as well. Okay. Tom Lowry. Um, 
it seems to be the the three at the moment in time. We signed a guy called Terry Devlin from Northern Ireland. He's sort of a young sort of, I suppose how you describe him as combative, but sort of likes to get forward, win the ball back in high areas, sort of central midfielder. And then we've got in uh, Ben Stevenson as well. He can sort of play in that sort of, you know, impact getting a bit leggy because he is getting a bit on as well now from that level that across the season, sorry, Marlon, that you need someone to come in and just give him a bit of relief as well. And he sort of can knock the ball around a bit. But I think what we're missing and what John Massino has come out and said is a, is a sort of eight go 10, mm-hmm. like an eight to 10 centre midfielder. Um, yeah. And they're, they're quite confident now, aren't we? We just heard that interview with him that it's going to be coming in the next, he said, days rather than weeks. So it's maybe before Saturday then, unfortunately for us. I don't, yeah, even if that was the case, though, I think he'd probably start him on the bench and bring someone on. Okay. I don't think, I think he's, we've been, we actually signed a lot of our players very early in the window. Yeah. They've been to Spain together. They've been working on everything together. Um, I don't think he's necessarily going to just throw someone in to start them. I think he's very process-based and I think he'll want to put them on then. And because of that kind of player, if you need a goal, you can always introduce them, can't you? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I doubt that player would start. I think it's going to be quite set. Talking about Massinho, yeah. I'm quite interested to see how he does, actually. I should have said that in, in the last uh, the last question you asked me about how you guys are going to do, I think. Because he, I mean, he is unproven, isn't he, at the end of the day? He came in and did from the outside at least, did a decent job when he came in last season, I thought. But obviously this is now his squad, his team, his preseason. So, um, yeah, I'm really interested to see sort of how he does with you guys. With the pressure on him of the noise around, you know, should be up there, should be winning the league maybe. I'm, I'm yeah, genuinely interested to see how he does. I think he wanted to play 4-3-3 and he did that when he came in. It's the sort of way he wants to play. But we didn't have wingers that could score any goals or create any assists. So whilst everything else seems fine in that system, if you haven't got your wide players can't score and can't cross, um, you're in trouble. So he's gone out in the window now and bought wingers, you know, attacking inside forwards in abundance. And that's where people like Yengi come in, where Gavin White comes in and Anthony Scully and people like this. He's gone out and got people who have got goals and assists in the past and are still around a sort of decent age in, in nowadays in modern football, I suppose, even in your prime at 26, aren't you? So, um, players at that sort of age who've scored and assists. And I think that just allows basically our wing-backs, or well, not wing-backs, our full-backs to get forward a little bit more, provide the width, those attacking players in the threes be a bit more narrow. That looks like the the idea. We haven't seen those goals flying in pre-season and we haven't seen okay. that happen yet. But at the same time, try not to take too much stock. I was standing on the terrace at AFC Wimbledon and we lost 1-0 and I was thinking this is a little bit toothless still, but... We'll just see how that pans out because we've got the mm. the proven record of players who can do that. Whether it happens and how quickly that happens is going to be the thing. And if we haven't won many games in August, we have a really difficult September coming up. Like, really difficult. Who we got, Fred? Mm. Wigan, Barnsley, Peterborough. Peterborough and Derby. Isn't that right? Mm. Mm. Yeah. Oh, tasty. So we need some points in August desperately. Yeah, yeah. So, just like Messina, do you think Barton will be under any pressure with a slow start? Do you given the higher expectations, or do you think it will just plod along if it's reasonable results? Yeah, that's a good question. I, I don't think you'd be under any pressure. Probably, if we were in and around the relegation zone at Christmas, say, then definitely there would be you know fingers pointed at him and probably some noise about moving him on, but. I think it would take a very poor start for there to be pressure on him because he has done 
in general, he has done a really good job since he's taken over. And I know people in the club see him as our best opportunity of getting up to the championship in terms of the type of manager that we need. So, yeah, I mean, he is Marmite. He definitely is. There's still members of the fan base who can't stand the bloke, and I completely, <laughs> completely get that. Yeah, no, I think he's pretty safe in his position. It, yeah, it would take a hell of a bad start for there to be any any noise around him, I think. Which side are you on then? Uh, for Barton or against? I'm interested. I'm for him as a manager and probably against a lot of the nonsense that surrounds him as a person and some of his tweets and some of the things he says in press conferences and some of his man management tactics are questionable at times. Um, yeah, I'm kind of in the middle, I suppose. In truth, you know, as a bloke, can't can't stand him, to be honest. But um, as a manager, I do think he has talent. I can see him managing at a higher level than us one day. You know, I can see him managing in the Championship Premier League. I think he's just got that kind of trajectory to him. But um, yeah, it's not someone I want to go for a pint with anytime soon, I don't think. You're not, you're not going to be like out in Stokes Croft with him then just uh, on a bench. I don't think so. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think me and him go to the same bars anyway, to be honest. I'm sure he's in much nicer ones than I am. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I feel that. <laughs> All right, cool. Let's do the last thing then. Um, let's get a score prediction for this weekend. So, do you know what? We recorded our podcast uh, before this game on Sunday and we did our score predictions at the end of it. And I'm going to stick with the same one. So I said 2-1 Rovers win which is completely ludicrous, to be honest with you. But I'm going to stick with it because I can't go back on that now. I'm a man a man of my word. So yeah, I'll go 2-1 Rovers. Yeah, that was just like us. We did our we did our preseason predictions and Freddie took fifth for Pompey. Andy took fourth. And then it came to me at the end. So I've just taken third, you know. I mean, obviously, obviously I'm 100% on that. Um, yeah. <laughs> it's, maybe, what done. it's that giddy start to the season feeling as well. Everyone's yeah. everyone's up for it. And um, I, I did exactly the same talking to some Rovers fans and was like, 2-0 whilst talking about how good your attack is, which doesn't really make any sense, does it? So, yeah. <laughs> But I'll stick to that as well and go 2-0. And go Fred, what okay. are you feeling? I just think it's going to be a mad game purely because of, Bristol Rovers attacking options, and I think Barton will let the leash off a bit. But I think Pompey have got a lot of weapons up front as well, so I'm probably going to go with a two-all draw and a John Marquis brace, obviously, because oh, okay. it's, <laughs> because it's, <laughs> because it's the next Pompey player playing against us, so it always happens. And a Bishop brace for us, I suppose, if I had to pick another goal scorer. I just take the easy option there. You know, go for the evens one there, Fred. I like it. Dude, thanks for coming so much on the podcast. Really yeah, appreciate it. Yeah, no problem. It. It's been a blast and good luck for the season, apart from this Saturday, obviously. Yeah, of course. May the best team win. Yeah, thanks very much. Exactly. Do you want to tell um, Poppy fans where they can find your podcast, that usual stuff? Yeah. So on Twitter, we are Gascast Podcast. Um, Gascastpodcast.co.uk is our website. You can find us on iTunes. Uh, Spotify, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. All the main podcast places were on there. So yeah, amazing. And probably fans, you can either go and listen to that if you're particularly happy about how the results gone, or if you just fancy having a good cry after us potentially getting <laughs> beaten by Jerry Barton. You've got material either way around. So go check out the Gas Car stuff. But once again, thanks for the show and enjoy your evening. You too. Thanks very much. Thanks, man. 
We're going to move on to listener questions, and this will bring in many topics. So thank you very much for those who sent it in. One comes from Nigel Lawrence, and it refers to potential gaps in the midfield. He said, would you rather we take until the end of the window to get the right central midfielder rather than rush it? It could be a loan. I don't see us pushing the boat out to sign someone with real quality. Now, I agree with some bits of that question, but not all of it. I do think we signed some players of real quality and who are going to have an impact on the first team. But in this case, I do get his point that really with the pack, Lowry and Morel trio, and if you're playing a 4-3-3, I would assume that the player coming in won't be first name on the team sheet. I don't see it personally. I mean, I'm thinking about all the players we've been linked to in the 10 role. None of them are, you know, household names. A lot of them are youngsters or something to prove as well. Have I, have you got suggestions of the sorts of players you'd want to come in who could potentially play as the number 10 in a 4-2-3-1 or as the most attacking player in the trio in midfield? We discussed this in the, in the WhatsApp group very briefly. And we've got three names between me and Joff that we can put together. So I touched on it earlier that we don't have a midfielder at the moment who can influence in the final third. So my suggestion, and he would cost money, so it probably wouldn't happen. That's not a dig at the ownership, whatever, but he wouldn't come cheap. That's a fact. He, Cambridge won a, a good amount of money for him. And that's Jack Lancaster. He's got a, an absolutely gorgeous release from his left foot for crosses and shots. He can play on either wing or as a 10. He's a really progressive, intelligent part of the ball, which is obviously needed in that 10 role. Um, he's ranked really highly for smart passes, I believe, which is self-explanatory. And, and finally, he ranks really highly in expected goals and expected assists among uh, League One midfielders. So yeah, that, that lines up really nicely. And he's two-footed. He prefers his left foot, but he's got good release off his right as well. So if we're looking for an out-and-out number 10 who can also play wide, for me, that's Jack Lancaster, although the only thing holding it back would be the money. When I ran through some of the analytics on Lancaster, is it Lancaster? Lancaster? Yeah, very, very good. All of the stuff you kind of want from an advanced 8 or a 10, which is where kind of my midfield profile system I chatted about a bit last week. It's to do with K-Means clustering. There was an explainer on that in the last episode. But yeah, he comes out as an 8 or a 10 which is ideally what I'd like to see added to our midfield. My only kind of real, I guess, doubt is that he's not the biggest bloke in the world, but, you know, we've got a lot of technically decent midfielders, but they're all quite short. And, you know, in terms of kind of a rangy, tall midfielder who can break the line with passing and dribbles, you know, Panchute Camera was one that we were supposedly linked with. Andrew and the lad from Chelsea. I mean, Jay Mingi's another one of those players, but... Yeah, he's not that type of player, but the type of stuff he is. Yeah, he's still a really good dribbler. Scores really highly in terms of successful dribbles, in terms of progressive passes, shots per ninety, um, expected goals and assists, as Jack's already mentioned. So, yeah, would be a great fit. Would cost a bit of money, as Jack mentioned, but he would be a very good fit for us. Obviously, we've been chatting about the number ten role on the show for probably longer than I've been alive at this stage. We've been talking about it for a long, long while. And Hugh has had to be in his bonnet of, oh, I don't I don't want these number 10s who can also play as a, a deeper midfielder. It doesn't work. Jack, is your second option, are they an out-and-out number 10 for a 4-2-3-1? Is that what the fans want and what the fans look after, or a player that can play in both positions? Uh so my second suggestion and kind of me and Joff's joint suggestion, coincidentally, is Jensen Weir, 
who is more of an eight, but can play further forward. So in terms of what I like from him, again, intelligent passer, really strong goal tally for a, a recently relegated side in, in Morecambe. And coincidentally, both my suggestions have played for Cambridge at one point. Strong offensive dual win rate, which we've talked about. Same with Lancaster, uh, really solid expected assists and expected goals. He's got good mid to long range passing from what I've seen. And one lovely little detail is that he's got some delicious half volleys from the edge of the box. And he's kind of what I see Terry Devlin being in kind of two to three years time when he's got more EFL football under his belt and he's more developed. I'm sure Joff can talk a bit more on Jensen Weir, but as a loan option, I'd be all over, all over Jensen Weir. I think he's a great player and would be very lucky to have him play for us. Yeah, he's he's currently a Brighton player, was loaned to Morecambe last season. Again, he came out as uh, an 8 or a 10 in my midfielder profiling thing. Yeah, Jack's run through some of the stats on him already. But yeah, he does like to score screamers, which does kind of skew the metrics if you're taking expected goals away from goals. You know, a 25-yard volley, the value of that in terms of expected goals is nowhere near as big as a tap-in. So when he scores those, and he scores a few of those, his kind of goal ratio, look, his expected goals ratio looks very, very good. But he did score 10 goals from kind of a central midfield role in a very poor Morecambe side last season. So, you know, he does have that ability. Uh, one thing I do like about him is he's six foot. If I, if that's what one meter 83 is, that's how tall I am. And I like to say that I'm six foot. So, but he is that kind of tall, rangy, dribbly midfielder that I was on about when we were talking about Lanaxter. So, yeah, it looks really good couple of negatives, his uh, crosses per 90 and his aerial jaws aren't great, but, you know, you're going to be looking for lots of crosses from the central midfielder, potentially if you're looking to play someone like Kevin De Bruyne, who loves to cross in from the from the half space, but I don't think we're going to be doing a lot of that. And if we are going to be crossing from that space, I'd expect someone like Joe Rafty or Jack Sparks to be doing that. Yeah, absolutely. He's the sort of creative midfielder who can ping a ball on a sixpence to the striker or to a winger in a bit of build-up, who could find some space as well. And it's got the technical ability to set pieces and to score goals. I've basically just described Gary Roberts. I still miss Gary Roberts playing for this side. Friend of the show as well. Or you want that creative fielder who's purely about goals. So like I remember with Gareth Evans, where he would just drift into the penalty area, just in the space and strike the ball very cleanly. Maybe that's more like an attacking midfielder in that role. So I think somebody with a bit of creative spark, I think. I think that's what that's arguably the final piece, that and if I'm being picky, another ball winning centre half, but I always want those in, in my team. So you know, but make of that what you will. We do have some more listener questions. Uh, one for you, Jack, specifically from Lewis Pete. Why does Jack prefer Lowry when Morel looks like one of our best players? What do the stats say? Uh see, I, I actually really like that question because it made me think. And personally, I actually, it's kind of tough because they're quite different midfielders, but also quite similar, which is a weird way to phrase it, but I'll explain. I actually do prefer Morel probably, but I'll get into it. So Morel, so for my KPIs, um, so what I value in, uh, in certain areas, Morel profiles much better as a box to box to box midfielder, although Lowry slightly pips in with progressive passing, whereas Lowry profiles better as a playmaker. Uh, but Morel has better progressive carries and offensive dual rate win percentage. So, my answer to that would be, I like both of them a lot, but I wouldn't play them together ever, really, because they don't really play, they don't really complement each other. So kind of similar with the fullbacks, you can kind of pick it on a game-by-game uh, game game basis. So for certain teams, so for example, 
I'd play Morel versus teams where there's space to carry the ball into an attack. But I'd play Lowry against teams that sit in a low block or have a really tight defence. And you need that smart passing and that third man movement. So without, uh, you know, ducking the question too much, I'll say I prefer Morel. But at the end of the day, they're both quality, quality footballers. But they just don't play well together. It's it's pretty, it's as simple as that. It's, you know, both really good, but don't play well together. That's an interesting point, isn't it, Joff, that I'll bring you into? Because when I look at the midfield three of Pack, Morel, Lowry, you think there's technical ability all over the place and they should be able to control a game. We've only seen it a few times last season. And in those times, it was okay in some instances, but not brilliant. Obviously, the creativity, again, was an issue. But how much do you pin that on the midfield three themselves or the fact that there was barely any options for them to actually pass to? Do you think that creative midfielder that we've been speaking of is necessary and then you choose either Morel or Lowry to start? I think, yeah, that is exactly how I'd play it out. I think you want that. Um, whether we play in a 4-3-3, say if we play in a 4-3-3, we'll have Pack or Stevenson at the base of that and then Morel or Lowry as one of the eights and then this new magical signing that we'll get in as the other eight and then if you play a four two three one you can have you know any of those four i've mentioned in kind of that double pivot and then you know we've got a whole host of people who can do a job as that 10 or a second striker you know any of the wingers probably barring scully or lane could probably do a really good job there and yangi or camera or anyone but or yeah all that magical signing but yeah that creativity issue is yeah something that did stifle us last season it probably will stifle us again if we if we don't sign someone in that in that advanced eight role i think morel and lowry you know offer different things but in terms of how we function as a team we don't see any massive difference kind of in creativity when we had one or the other and that's you know due to a number of things kind of the way they play morel likes to kind of dribble a lot more and is a lot better at it whereas Lowry, you know, really good on the half turn when someone is pressing him and then good at good at releasing the ball. I mean, I said the opposite against Wimbledon, but last season, a lot of the time he did release the ball at the right time. And, you know, statistics, he's better kind of in terms of crosses per 90 and expected assists per 90. But, you know, they didn't, those kind of standout factors didn't make a huge difference in terms of our creativity as a team. So for me, we do need someone else in that role. And, as Jack said, I don't think they work massively well together. Just adding on to that with, with Lowry, and you kind of mentioned players that, that can play as, as a 10. We've seen Lowry tried out as a 10 under John Messina quite a few times. Uh, and I hate it personally. I don't think he gets the best out of Tom. And I know we said we kind of move on to it later, but one detail I saw in pre-season, especially against Bristol City, was we had Rafferty slash Swanson tuck in from right back to kind of make a back three with the left back pushed on. Larry pull out to the essentially the right back slot and this kind of got the best out of Larry in my opinion because he's not great when he's getting pressed from behind he's not got the best awareness so if you have the touch on behind him he's not got that to deal with but he's a really good pass of the ball so he can receive off the off the center back and play a wall pass into midfield and then combine and move from there so that is one way you can get the best out of Larry and yeah we've just not got a number 10 in our squad uh, Abu Kamara at stretch, although he's probably better as a second striker. Slightly different attributes, but the point is there. 
but yeah, I've not really got loads more to add on to Lowry. I think he's a really good technician. He's got some really nice attributes, but there's certain things I'm just really apprehensive for. Or and by the way, I've suggested a half time against Oxford away the uh, the switch to pull uh, Lowry out to right back and, uh, and push the uh, the right back inside. So I'm taking it as a win for a little old Hancock analysis. That's a uh, that's another check mark on the uh, on the on the block. And all this discussion about the potential lack of creativity makes me wonder why I predicted this team to finish fifth. But anyway, we move on. One last question from John Lish. He said, do any statistics indicate bravery? I thought we were quite safe last season. Massinho spoke after the Bristol City game about the need to move the ball fast to be threatening. But you need to be brave in movement and, and have willingness to make runs. Well, bravery is multifaceted. You can look at it in many ways. Um, one of the things is just a high level of duels in general. Even though, on average, some of the worst sides, the defenders, for example, have more duels because obviously they're on the back foot a lot more. But any player who always gets stuck in with their duels is brave to a certain extent because they're trying to get on the ball all the time or take on people if it's offensive duels, for example. Another thing that might indicate bravery, progressive runs. Obviously, those, whenever you hear an older footballer talk about in an interview, they're like, oh, these kids, they always want to pass sideways. They always, they always want to pass backwards or sideways. They don't, they don't want to take any risks whatsoever. And obviously, a progressive run is a risk because you're dribbling over a long stretch of the pitch, and also long pass as well. That's obviously a risk in a different way. But I get what John is mentioning because that was one of the biggest weaknesses of this side. It was the lack of movement off the ball, and we said that for seasons and seasons now as one of the reasons why Pompey were so close at times, but yet so far, because the movement wasn't brilliant, which led to the attacks being slow, which led to the opposition filling the penalty area and making things harder. Are there any other stats that indicate bravery for you? But also, how do Pompey solve that problem of the lack of movement off the ball and a little bit of creative spark at the end of it? I'd say, for me, I think bravery is one of those ones where it's slightly intangible. You know, you can... Well, just by looking at the numbers, you can get a decent picture, but you've really got to kind of watch a lot of footage to kind of determine what players are like in terms of going in for duels. Do they you know, fully commit? Do they make a lot of those kind of runs in the space behind? Do they do, do they like to play te- take players on and stuff? And, you know, you get a picture by statistics, but you've got to watch a lot of footage. There is, I mean, some more advanced stuff out there. You know, you've got, you sometimes see those kind of tactical camera angles whether you know, they stick a camera right on the top of one of the stands so you can see the full pitch. You can get a really good idea of the shape of a team. And they're linked up to um, software with AI where you can get a whole load of kind of way more advanced metrics, stuff that's, you know, not that, you know, stuff that's hard to come by. You've got to be registered with the club and all that kind of stuff or pay a lot of money to be able to access this kind of thing. Um, and, you know, they can get, kind of a better picture of it but in terms of stuff it's of a kind of a bravery statistic or a bravery metric that you know you can judge it pretty well but not as well as you'd like to um by statistics and you've got to kind of watch footage in terms of footage and stuff i've seen from pompey players at the wimbledon game devlin when he came on there were two duels where there's a 150 50 on the right wing he wins it really well and the ball's in another 50-50 situation, wins it really well, gets it, and then he's one-on-one with a keeper 50 yards out. And if you go back and watch the footage of that game, I think there's some highlights on the Wimbledon YouTube channel 
those two challenges show that an immense amount of bravery for someone so young just to fly in, fly in on Lee Brown and then fly in on someone else and come away with the ball cleanly. And then he de- does kind of stupidly try to lob the keeper from 50 yards and it goes wide. But it's pre-season, kind of, kind of allow it. And if that's his first goal for Pompey, then fair enough. But it's one of those things that you do need to look at via footage quite a lot I think it can't just be all aggression or bravery because there has to be a level of control so something I talk about a lot is, especially with midfielders is passing bias we discussed it last month but for example uh, a pack and Devlin as a double pivot there's, there's too much ver- verticality verticality there so it'd be a bit too brave if anything and a bit too con- uh, 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 chaotic. Uh, I feel like I, I don't want to rehash my own points too much because we spoke in quite good detail last time. But when thinking about bravery and, and, and chaos to an extent, you have to think: Does it suit the situation? And how can we balance it out with control? Because personally, in my football teams, you know, my ideal football in my brain, I want a good balance between chaos and order. So when putting together your ideal midfield partnerships, for example, have a bit of a think. Do these players, are they quite chaotic and vertical or are they more controlled? And then try and balance that out and, and mitigate those weaknesses and, and add to those strengths. I think we've gone through a lot, a lot there on the bravery thing, but I think it's it comes down to the biggest point that we always preach is com- combine your data and your video or combine your data and your eye and what you see and uh, don't preference one or the other because you'll get the complete picture if you have both of them. The last thing I mentioned on this show, and the bit that you're all going to be held to, where are Pompey finishing this season? Joff, I'll start with you. And remember, this prediction is on your head. Crikey, that's a lot of pressure. Um, I think, you know, we are, I think we're in a better position than we were last year. People who are saying we're going to win the league, I don't. I think Derby are going to win the league. But we're going to be in and around the playoffs. I predicted six last year when I was on the pod. And my reasoning for that was I thought we're going to play pretty well under the Cowleys. And because six is where I play in football, um, despite Jack not liking my press resistance, despite seeing only one. Look, look, there's there's limited evidence and it's a small sample (laughs) size. With data, we have to be cautious. I do need to see more from you, mate. I need to see more footage to really give that judgment. Fine. I'll make sure uh, I get some footage to you ASAP. And I was born on the 6th, so I did predict 6th. And that's what I'm going to go for again this year. I think, I reckon we'll be promoted via the playoffs from 6th place. We've never won a playoff game, but who cares? No. (laughs) I I, I thought I was positive by 5th, but you actually tagged the promotion to it well. Jack, where are the Blues finishing at the end of the season? Uh, so I've got a slightly different league winner to Joff. I, I think Bolton are going to win the league. I love their manager. I think they've got a really good squad. And for Pompey, we're one key signing off, which is, as we've discussed in depth, that 10 slash 8, but also maybe another winger, depending on the dynamics later on in the window. So I've got us, and I'd love to say we need it automatically promoted, but I can't quite see it happening. I've got us down for fourth and winning the playoffs. Now, there's a caveat to that. We've never won a playoff game, but technically we don't have to. We can draw all of the games and just win on penalties. So we can retain that dazzling statistic of never winning a, a playoff game and still get promoted. So yeah, for me, it's, it's fourth playoff champions. Bish, bash, bosh. Let's get relegated from the championship in 23rd next year. Let's have a lovely time. But let's finish fourth and get, and we get promoted through the playoffs. Fred, can I ask what was your prediction? 
My prediction was fifth this time. I thought before I did the research, I instinctively thought seventh for obvious reasons, but I I swayed myself by looking at some of the other opposition and on that strange alternate reality where Portsmouth draw (laughs) all those playoff games to still get promoted. Uh, We'll leave you guys there. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, Cheers, Joff and Jack, for turning up. It was a pleasure. And uh, until next time, play at Pompey. <laughs>